hitting go live on Facebook now. So if we haven't been if we haven't been live already, again, I'll just say it. This is an experimental news site. And what we're doing here is highly experimental. Mm -hmm. My name is Eugene Driscoll. I'm a reporter with ValleyIndy.org. The guy in the shirt is Ethan Fry. He is the uh, well, we're all wearing shirts, thankfully. (laughs) He is uh, 50 percent. You got 100 percent of the Valley Mm -hmm. Indy right here. We're taping a podcast. Um, Our podcasts uh, appear on WNHH. 103.5 103.5 FM, as I was saying, every Monday at noon. You can also get them on iTunes and SoundCloud and ValleyIndy.org and YouTube, YouTube. Google Play, one. anywhere you get podcasts, you can get navel-gazing. Uh, but we thought, in addition to taping our, uh, our audio podcast, we would try to stream the conversation live. And this is a way for us to test out this crazy setup we have with a webcam and an HD uh, camcorder hooked up to some wire, I don't even know what it is, into a Thunder port with a USB mic. And what I love about this job is that we just try stuff. I don't care mm. if this is embarrassing or if it's a total failure, whatever. We just try stuff, and if it works, it works. And it's all about communicating uh, with the people Wouldn't of the Valley. Wouldn't be the, the first Valley. failure in the history of journalism. No, so. uh, no. And what I love is that we basically tried this last year, couldn't get it to work, but half of the uh, what, what's fun about this job is that we wait for the technology to get to our level where we can do stuff for free. You mm. know, this, this, this camera setup that you're seeing on Facebook right now is OBS. That's free software. Uh, that we finally managed to rig and make work, hopefully. So, and it's like I'm borrowing my wife's laptop, and she's the one that set up that the way the Valley Independent Sentinel is. So it's all great community stuff. So that be that being said, Rick Dunn is just sitting here patiently. He's a member mm. of the deep state trying to overthrow the government. <laughs> uh, and that, I'll just break that news right now. But let's start. Now we're going to start our podcast. So uh, if you have questions for Rick, you can post them in the comments below. I don't know where I should be, but I'm not. I'm not going to promise I'm going to see them because we've got a lot going on here, and I already have. I'm already overwhelmed. So here we go. Now it's going to be weird because I'm going to do the introduction again because we need to do it. We're going to edit out that part of the audio on mm. our podcast, and this will be the actual podcast. So everybody, put their pants on. We're doing it live. I mean, that's the the beauty of it. <laughs> doing it live. All right. <laughs> Hi, I'm Eugene Driscoll. Welcome to Naval Gazing on 103.5 WNHH. New Haven's community radio station. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Valley Indie reporter Ethan Fry. Good day. How you doing, Ethan? Good. Very good. And Thank we should you. say we're streaming this live on Facebook as we record. What's today? Thursday, March 8th? I believe ninth is the 9th. Just looking at my phone. Says you. Definitely the 9th. So that voice you heard, we have a very special guest, our old friend. Well, he's not old, but our good friend. Rick Dunn, who's the executive director of the Naugatuck Valley Council of Governments. Rick, thanks for being on Naval Gazing. Thank you, Eugene. Good to be here. And I, I really got to thank you because this is a wacky one because we got all this different stuff uh, going on. Absolutely. So we haven't had you on in a while, probably since the Great Give last year. You were on uh, as part of our uh, Beat Up the Valley Indie segment. Yes, you and my Kurt Miller segment of that uh, broadcast. <laughs> I think it was our, our most viewed of all the YouTube mm. videos we did. Probably, uh, probably because Kurt Miller was on. Miller is oh, yeah, Miller sure. is he's like a Kardashian. Yeah, he's just the, yeah, the man is yeah. just ratings. Yeah. He's just wherever he goes, people just want to look. So 
Anyway, um, <laughs> let's talk about O'Sullivan's Island, first of all, Rick. We're going to talk. We haven't asked okay. you about this in a really long time. O'Sullivan's Island uh, is a little meadow there in Derby under the Route 8 Bridge. It kind of juts out. It's a peninsula. It's not an no, island, yeah. but hey, what do you want? Uh, it juts out into the... It used to be an island. One time, yeah, yes. but then they, they they filled it up with garbage, and <laughs> then it became... Or was it plate... Was it tectonics? What is that? Plate tectonics? What? No, no. What, no. Uh, oh, okay. It was... Uh, it was a landfill. It was... Um, Largely landfill. So, and there's been contamination there for a very, 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 mm-hmm. very long time. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a renewed effort to make sure the ground is safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been closed for a while out of an abundance of caution, as you do or your agency uh, oversees, supervises, along with a lot of other deep state agencies. The Yeah, we work at the direction of the city, just to be clear. So, so we're... We are uh, taking direction from the city, and we coordinate with the State Department of uh, Environmental Protection, Energy Environmental Protection. Someday I'll get used to that. Deep. Uh, deep. And um, and uh, other funders and partners in the project. And the, the goal here is to basically see, all right, what do we have in the ground? Uh, how do we deal mm-hmm. with it? And ultimately, what would we need to do to clean it up? Sure. Well, there there are a couple of issues there. Um, yeah, what's the latest? It's not open right now, right? Because I, I haven't asked about it in a very long time. Technically, it's not open. Technically, the Board of Aldermen, I do not believe, has taken action to reopen the site. Okay. Um, the And it's been my agency's recommendation that they not do so, but for it becomes complicated as, as to why. Um, so... Maybe a little history. Uh, I know this is not a long show, so I'll, I'll, I'll try and cover 20 years and 20 seconds. But uh, go. So uh, O'Sullivan's Island, pro- their problems with contamination largely stem from two things. It was a landfill at one time. It was a municipal dump uh, in the 30s. Later on, it was a fire training facility uh, established uh, by the state of Connecticut, uh, authorized by the state of Connecticut. Uh, The land was actually owned by the state for a long period of time uh, while it was a fire training facility and when Route 8 uh, was being built. Um, So sometime in the 80s, uh, many barrels of PCB-contaminated chemicals were found buried on the site. Um, They removed several hundred, as I recall, at that point. Superfund ran out of money and they basically shut down the job. But no one knew how it got there, who put it there, where it came from. So we know a lot more today uh, about those things. Um, basically, it was a good faith effort by the firefighters in the area to w- try and work with chemicals that were being used in the factories in the area. Uh, after World War II in particular, but into the 50s and 60s, the firefighters were entering these factories for uh, to, to fight fires and were encountering things that could not be put out with normal uh, firefighting equipment, water uh, primarily. Um, so they needed to train on this. So they worked out with area manufacturers, send us a couple barrels of these used contaminants, uh, uh, used chemicals, and uh, we'll, we'll burn them, train with them, figure out how to put the fires out. And I would assume the factory owners were like, okay, that... <laughs> Makes our life a little easier. Yeah, Here you go. I mean, our guess is that originally it was they just sent a few things down and it worked out. Uh, after 1973, when the EPA started regulating under what's called RICRA, uh, you have to manifest these chemicals as they come in. You have to show where they, how they left. Um, so 
these companies had lots of chemicals that were very expensive to get rid of. Um, and our best understanding of the situation was they just kept shipping them down to O'Sullivan's Island for training. Um, at some point, they had so many of these barrels. It's like Lucy in that chocolate, right. chocolate episode, <laughs> but it's it's yeah. toxic waste. Right. So, so we don't know. Well, and and to be fair, they uh, you know it's a little bit like people in the fifties saying they didn't realize that smoking hurt you, but um, it was bad for you. But uh, there were these barrels. It was unknown what was really in them, or you know the the, the type of contaminants that this represented. It's unknown who buried them. That, that's something we don't know um, or how that happened. We know basically what companies they came from. I'm not going to name names today. Most of those companies don't exist any longer uh, or can't be touched. Um, the But the fire training facility was clearly under the control of the state. It's a licensed fire training facility. Um, they were discovered. Turned out not all of them were discovered in the 80s. We discovered many, many, many more uh, over the last 10 years. Um, the city ended up in a $5 million emergency removal with EPA, not to badmouth EPA, but they didn't even remediate the site to their own standards. They left things in place. The other complication is it's not a floodplain. It is a floodway, which means water overtops it during flood conditions uh, on a regular basis. So even though there was a cap of clean soil and a membrane to warn people don't dig below this this level, uh, later testing showed that that cap was not at least intact in the way it had been represented when they did the completed the emergency removal. And that's a much more recent. That removal was much more recent than that was in the two thousand nine ten. We're talking about. Around that time period. Yeah, I'm really bad with dates, but, but that's, that's the about 90, right. Not that's the 90s or 80s. Right. That's I mean, about yeah, right. Okay. So, so um, we've set about at the city's direction trying to come up with a solution. The short, and I'm not an attorney, but the short story is this. Derby owns the land. Should they, and there are orders against the site from deep. Um, should those orders be enforced for a particular reason, Derby would be stuck with a cost of cleanup. We think that the the, the cleanup costs probably exceed $5 million additionally um, to remediate it to a standard that both EPA and DEEP can accept under the written regulations. Now, they can accept greater amounts of contamination left in place under certain conditions, which we think is a much lower cost figure. Um, the point is to try and negotiate that to get it into a into a condition where it's safe, um, where everybody feels comfortable that we've stabilized the site and that it can be used for um, any number of purposes. Now, the fact that it's in a floodway uh, means we're never really going to build buildings down there. You know, mm -hmm. the structures aren't going aren't, aren't to be built. Um, so we end up now with a situation where the Department of Public Health we have gone to on behalf of the city and said, look, take a look at these reports. Take a look at what was done. Give us an opinion whether there's a risk to human health by letting people go on the site. And Department of Public Health has, has basically said, it's okay. We don't feel there's a problem. There are some spots that need to be cleaned up, but we don't feel there's a problem allowing people to passively use the site. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the information that, that exists today uh, uh, for the city. 
we've recommended to the board that until we complete a full investigation and, and try and attempt to, to get the cleanup, full cleanup done um, at the state's cost, because w our position is the state holds the responsibility for the cleanup. Um, if Derby were to get sued for the cleanup by DEEP at some point, and I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but if that were to happen, Derby's fiduciary duty would require them to go uh, turn around and sue 20 some odd parties who have used an authorized use at the site. Uh, it wouldn't be fair for the Derby Board of Aldermen to agree to pay uh, all this money when, in fact, uh, there were the state all of Connecticut other, and yeah. 19 other or 20 other users of the site who contributed to this contamination. So we're trying to we're trying to eliminate that. Um, so we're working with the mayor. Uh, we're working with uh state DECD, and, and this is where it ties into sort of the downtown project. Like, do you have any equipment there now? That's No, no, we're not okay, doing all, anything there all, at the okay. moment. Um, what we're trying to do is get a compromise in place. Uh, hope, big picture plan, negotiate with uh, EPA. Uh, this is tricky. Even though the state is the, regu the environmental regulator, the federal government regulates PCBs. So EPA decides what is a sufficient um, cleanup. Uh, 10 parts per billion is what we hope they will approve. Less than one part per, I take that back, million, part per million. Uh, well, I'm sure there's new EPA standards now. It'll, this will all go away in a second. Well, right, right. Well, we'll, the land we'll, will be bleeding. We'll work under current law. Toxic can rise out of the ground from but trauma. But if, if we could get agreement, for instance, to go to one part per million, um, then that cost comes down dramatically. And we feel that it would still be uh, – we'd be able to protect people more than sufficiently uh, uh, if they use the site. So there's been like it was been it was sort of controversial this this idea that we can consolidate uh, sewage treatment plants at least controversial to mm. some, uh, but now there was this or there is this or there's going to be this study where we're finally gonna gonna get an answer as to can we consolidate some of these uh, WPCA facilities sure. in the valley which are like incidentally all along always built like right on the shores of the rivers. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, when uh, the, the one in Derby is smack dab in the middle of this redevelopment zone, right? So that's yeah. Uh, well, it's it's not it's or, it's there bordering. Yeah. It's smelly and riverfront. Yeah, yeah. It's widely seen in DPZ that when they did uh, public opinion uh, survey stuff, everyone said that the you know the biggest negative is that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but and that, it's, that report had no recommendation on the sewage plant, right? I don't. I mean, I thought. I think that ideally, move it, get rid of it. No, but I mean, they study it, get rid of it. I, I was just noting that they didn't address it in their report. I, I didn't know they were. I, okay, were they supposed to? No, I'm just <laughs> making an observation. So that's when the deep state comes in. You and your deep state mm -hmm. colleagues. You yes. guys are because are, 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 the thing is, like, in, if you ask Derby. And Ansonia, like locally, there were different opinions as mm -hmm. to whether mm -hmm. or not Derby and Ansonia could consolidate. Uh, it was always sort of a political thing to some extent. And the state has come in, and now they're studying it. What's the – where does that stand? Well, where, where it stands is my agency uh, applied to the state of Connecticut for funding under a, a specific program to look at consolidating municipal services. Um, we did that 
application. We were funded. It has taken quite a bit of time. Funding was announced in May of 2016. Uh, we got our signed contract in the mail yesterday. Wow. Um, was that – what was the – Anything of note? I, I, uh, partly, I think it might have been the state budget crisis. They wanted to make oh, gotcha. sure that the revenue was there. Um, and just so everyone's aware, the money for this is a set aside. It doesn't come through the budget. It's a piece of the sales tax that's set aside and doesn't go through uh, the normal budgetary process. It's there for these particular types of activities. So the, we have a number of partners on this project now. We are going to look at all of the plants, Naugatuck, Beacon Falls, Seymour, and Sonia, and Derby. Um, we're probably going to have the consultant break it into uh, bite-sized pieces and then look at a larger approach as we get deeper into the study. Separately, we're going to conduct a governance study. This is really the harder part of a lot of these mm. decisions. I mean, engineering-wise, you know, there's an old saying, uh, uh, there's nothing you can't build without enough money and good engineering. Um I don't even think you need that much money to build a pipe between uh, at least the Ansonia and Derby plant and probably uh, from Beacon Falls to Derby. Uh, it wouldn't take much effort. We're talking pipes and pumps. Um, so, yeah, what's the, wait, you said governance. What does that what does that even mean? Well, so the WPCAs. Or? Yeah, the WPCAs. So which are just the, I'm going to editorialize. Like they, quasi. They are a strange yeah. thing because like I'm not qualified mm. to. Talk. I mean, I sit at those meetings, and God bless those people. That's mm. that seems like it should be a. It, the fact that that's just appointed Joe citizens is amazing to me. Yeah, I, I, given I, the complexities and if if you believe in reincarnation, you might think those people did something bad in a prior <laughs> life because they, they are suffering. How the, dare those, you insult Jack Walsh meetings. like that? Jack Walsh. Jack is, is a saint. No, 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 no. But the, the, it's hard work, and no one really understands it, and no one's ever happy with any decision a WPCA makes. The, the problem with governance, though, is this. If you're thinking about consolidating systems, there are – so during the Reagan administration, there were laws uh, passed that required user fees and not general tax levy to support sanitary sewer systems. Um, so in, in the old days, cities would just issue bonds, tax everyone, and – build a sewer system, uh, which was primarily repaid by the federal government under the Clean Water Act. Um, there was a user fee requirement put into place sometime in the 80s. WPCAs got created out of that because they had to be separate from the city. Um, so the city theoretically controls them through the power of appointment. Um, but they, they can issue their own debt. They can have their own rate-setting structures, uh, depending on how they're set up. There are... I believe three statutes in Connecticut that can allow for or govern the merger of uh, water pollution control facilities of different types of different sizes, whether it's a governance merger, whether it's a physical merger. Because the fear that I hear is that if you merge, like if Ansonia and Derby merge their WPCAs, suddenly you got you know people mm -hmm. from Ansonia jacket up my rates because I live in Derby. Cassetti right. doesn't care about me. Right. And, and, that's, and that's what we have to solve with the governance study. We have to come up with a model that gives fair representation to everyone. Is there any thought to just doing away with the—I mean, I guess you can't, like doing away with uh, just appointing a Joe Citizen and trying to make it part of the—would, like, state control be, ever be on the well, table? Well, I mean, or? there are there are regional 
uh, authorities, M- MDC in the Hartford area. Um, there are a few others that are have been quote unquote regionalized, but to my knowledge, no one who already had independent operations and independent plants then came together and and merged into a single organization. Whether it's physical infrastructure that's being merged or it's just a governing body that's being merged, um, but but. The expertise is supposed to come from the engineer. You hire a good engineer. You hire a good plant operator. They advise the board. You hire a good attorney when you're dealing with with debt for infrastructure development. Um, and and much as people don't like to talk about this, when a business wants to come to your town and they are building a uh, facility that has that creates a lot of wastewater and that system doesn't accommodate this the existing system does not accommodate that much wastewater there may be a charge uh for them to create the infrastructure necessary to handle it. a hotel is a classic example you build a hotel you create all this wastewater um you know people don't really care how long a shower they take in the hotel right yeah um, so i flood them <laughs> but that's a that's a that's so if you're if your wpca can't handle the capacity uh-huh. that that hotel is going to go elsewhere uh, that that is true um it, it it you know it could be a factor in a number of places where hotels might otherwise go um so so when so when we look at this what are we talking about we're talking about a physical study of infrastructure to see if something can be consolidated if a system can operate at a scale that is less expensive and makes more sense for the ratepayers for the residents and businesses who actually pay the bills um, that's the goal here. There's nothing else in play. Um, now, you look at Ansonia, Derby, uh, Seymour, um, Beacon Falls, Naugatuck. Other than Ansonia, all of those have some level of negotiation going on with the federal government over the operation of their plants or some aspect of operation of their plants. Is that just because they all, like I know in Derby it's old and it's been traditionally underfunded from what I've heard, like they waited to do repairs. Is that the case? Is that common? It's not. Or is it because the feds change the regs it's, all the it's time? It's not uncommon. Um, cities tend not to invest in these things if they can get away without doing it. Um, certain cities. Uh, Beacon Falls has a small plant built in a different age that can't accommodate expansion very well. Uh, they're looking at options like merging with Seymour um, or expanding their own plant. They have a number of, of, of options in front of them right now, and they're in the midst of this. Um, Naugatuck is fine for the moment. Um, not, interestingly, Naugatuck has never had a sewer use fee um, because they make enough money processing, uh, incinerating the cake that comes from a whole bunch of other so it's treatment plants. Um, so they have one of, kind of the classic example of a cooperative system. Uh, it's a market-based system. Uh, there are other options for disposing of these this, this stuff, but uh, like know. building an anaerobic digester. Anaerobic digestion is a good idea. Um, the f- anaerobic food digesters are much more efficient, much cleaner, much better for the environment than. There are some that have been at converted uh, sewage treatment plants um, uh, that produce a lot of methane and uh, still uh, 
uh, put mercury and heavy metals and things back into, into and Ethan mentions that because that was that something was, that was uh, brought up proposed in Ansonia and, and rejected and, basically by the public. Yeah, and it the was, change of administration yeah, officially yeah. kind of kibosh it. We yeah. haven't heard anything about that. Well, there's a new one that's just about to open in Connecticut. It was a big story uh, about two weeks ago. Um, what, Hugh I Bailey write it? Forget no your friend who Hugh. No, uh, it was not Hugh. I love Hugh Bailey uh, actually. I, He's a good guy. I'm glad. Actually, I don't know who wrote the article. It was uh, again. You can find it on the NVCOG Facebook page. Well. I've on. I stopped following that a while uh, ago. I hope it was Bob Miller. Once they stopped uh, posting uh, Valley Indie stories, I was like, click unlike. Well, actually, then we, I report I, every, everything you do. I just report as fake news. I, fake I, news. I, I think. I think we do. Uh, are you are you related to my my roommate from college? Probably no. no. I'm the first one in my family to go to college. I think. So so uh, the. Um, the, the, I was telling something, and I well, we should probably we're out of time anyway. We were talking about the sewage stuff, and then yeah. that that study is now just about underway. Let me make two quick points for you. So the biggest obstacle to combining plants is that every system has what's called an INI problem, inflow and infiltration of clean water. The dirty little secret of wastewater, sanitary wastewater, is that users pay to process an awful lot of clean water through their sewage treatment plant. Um, it's also one of the reasons that uh, some systems dump raw sewage into the river in heavy rain events because they have so much rainwater and groundwater seeping into their systems, the pumps can't handle that's it. That's Derby Roosevelt Drive. That's what I, did, I did not say that. Um, well, I, well, we've written about so, it. That's so, so that's, that's the, those are some of the classic examples but the the cost of and getting that stuff out of there but the cost of easy. upgrading existing systems and plants just in our region we are talking uh, potentially a half billion dollars between all these plants the federal money is no longer there to reimburse the state system could be as much as a 10-year wait um, for funding to, to upgrade your plant. In the meantime, you're out of compliance with the federal standards and subject to fine. Um, so if we don't find a way to not spend a half billion dollars, um, users are going to end up paying that money and, and your sewer use fees are going, you know, what used to be $100 or $200 a year is now becoming more commonly $300, $400, $500 a year. The commercial rates are going through the roof. Um, and this is because of the plant upgrades that are required to comply with law to keep uh, these discharges uh, that are poisoning rivers out of water courses. Um, so what we want to do is find a way to spend some money up front to uh, eliminate the need to upgrade all of these plants. And let's face it, if you were going to build a whole new water treatment system, uh, sewage treatment system today, you wouldn't build seven plants along a 10-mile stretch of the Naugatuck River. Right. You'd probably build one plant. Um, and you'd be you'd be looking at a lot less capital investment repair and replacement. So that's what we're going after. It's going to be about an 18-month study. Uh, we're going to do a first phase issue a report relatively quickly to help us determine the direction of the balance of the report and then we'll start spending money on some preliminary engineering activities that will uh demonstrate hopefully whether the efficacy of, of some of these ideas get some regionalism on the table which is always thing. talked about but this is uh, sort thing. of yeah uh, so i'm getting excited about uh sewage here derbonia take that oh you're all ready to well, that, I mean, it's increasingly become a topic. On, it's on How like long have you been waiting? You're just sitting there for 20 minutes to say Derbonia. You just, I, I get, mean, we, we talk about regionalization, mm -hmm. and like back in 
back in you know 18 whatever birmingham was just one big municipality and it was like there's so many economic activity and factories bustling it's like let's split apart but you don't i mean you that that ended 60 years ago didn't it so uh, yeah i mean it was all derby at one point um uh, and derby was actually what's now east derby which has to this day still causes uh, bad feelings um but ansonia was the last uh municipality to split off from derby in 1895 um they should have never done it. Merging municipalities back together and thinking much larger than just Ansonia and Derby is probably the smart thing to do. If if Connecticut wants to be economically competitive, if people want to rein in education costs and give a quality education, they need to be seriously thinking about these things. I would just say that, you know, uh, Derbonia, I think, is a terrible name, um, you know. Just call it Derby, and we can call and it Ansonia Serby. High School. Well, no, yeah, I mean, no, no. It's, it's, it just call be, it Derby, and we'll keep Ansonia High School. Every commercial real estate developer is is uses Oxmoor Plaza, Bethmore. Pl- like, the, you know, <laughs> oh, we gotta think. Gotta think. Is that something that I like that the hipsters will like? Uh, Dirt, but, no, but yeah, I'm not taking Durbans. an official position on this. By the way, I'm biased. So, but I mean, like, the, like you know, but I think so the football team should always be the Ansonia that, High School football team. I think that's a better move at this point. Nobody who, who I know from Derby football, well, would like, like it me would never anymore. happen because you'd have to. I mean, part of this economic savings you talk about is laying off a lot of people that are public employees. So, well, that that's not necessarily where all the costs are. How did you um, start a part three of this podcast? It's been going on for an hour and eight minutes. <laughs> Uh, I this is a good place for me not to to get involved, yeah, but right. but end it there. But big dollars, education, public safety. Yeah, those are where the big dollars are. All right, so you heard it here. Rick Dunn wants to dissolve the schools and police departments. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. All right, so that's it. Thanks a lot, Rick, for uh, putting up with us. Unprepared, uh, we were, uh, but we, you know, we figured if we're gonna have do something experimental, we'll get Rick Dunn in here. Well, at least three of he, us were and, unprepared, and he won't mind. No, no, this will all look, it'll all work out in the editing. So, this is Eugene Driscoll on behalf of <laughs> Rick Dunn and Ethan Fry. Mm-hmm. This is Valley Naval Gazing. See you next time.